This episode of the Maybe We Can Fix This podcast was originally recorded in 2016. Other than this intro and a new outro, no substantive changes have been made. I hope you enjoy. And welcome to Maybe We Can Fix This, a gaming podcast where we talk about games that we enjoyed but thought might have missed the mark in some way, and how we think we could we, they could be improved. I am your host, Morgan, and joining me this week is Phoebe. Say hi, Phoebe. Hi. Uh, this week we are discussing Bioware's fantasy RPG, uh, Dragon Age 2. Uh, for those of you who may not have played it or need a refresher, I'll run you down what the game is really briefly. So it's... Uh, Sort of a fusion between an action RPG and an old school computer RPG where you kind of have a small party try to micromanage what they're doing at all times. Um, it tells the tale of Hawk. Hawk is a refugee of the war from the first game, Dragon Age Origins, who comes to the city of Kirkwall where their family has some roots and just tries to, you know, start a life over and ends up through doing a lot of adventuring and running around and becoming a noble and uh, starting at least one war, uh, dealing with some stuff in the, you know, that sort of thing. As you do. Uh, it has a colorful cast of characters that are join you as companions, including uh, Varric, who is a storytelling dwarf who narrates the entire adventure during certain cutscenes and who is one of the only characters to be playable in multiple games in the series. Um... I think the other very notable character uh, I should make sure I mention is Anders, who is a mage who is possessed by a spirit of justice and who causes a lot of problems in the game. <laughs> uh, specifically, uh, escalating the fight between the mages and the Templars, which are a religious order whose purpose is to make sure the mages don't go nuts and kill everyone. I wonder if that requires a spoiler alert. Although, to be fair, I guess if you're listening to this, then you probably have accepted the fact that you'll get spoiled if you're not already familiar with Dragon Age 2? Yes, well, fair. Uh, <laughs> this episode, we will be talking about narrative elements uh, that will affect towards the end of Dragon Age 2. So if you have not played it and really want to play it uh, without any spoilers, this is a good uh, episode to skip. Hmm. That said, Phoebe, what did you like about Dragon Age 2? Oh man, that's a big question. Um, I'm a big fan of all of the Dragon Age games in general, uh, but Dragon Age 2 was actually the first one that I played. Um, that was specifically because people had told me that it was the worst out of the series in general, um, and I was a little concerned that if I played it in the correct order, I would get to game two and uh, just give up on it. But I actually really enjoyed it, maybe because I have the lack of comparison with uh, Dragon Age Origins. Um, but particularly what stood out to me the most, I suppose, would be the characters within it. You mentioned earlier, like, character management is a big deal, sort of in the style of old school RPGs. Um, I feel like 
A lot of the time I felt like it was babysitting the game, but like in the best way. <laughs> I felt like that playing through Inquisition as well. Um, I just find it really fun to play through an RPG like with a little gang behind you uh, and the interactions yeah, between nice. the characters, like the way that ways their personalities clash and uh, meld together and interact was very interesting to me. Um, but in general, I'm just, I'm in general, a good fan of a hack and slash RPG. Um, so I enjoyed it very much. But also I think this might have been one of the first games that I'd played where they even attempted to do a sort of, oh, your decisions affect the way the game will turn out. Who are you going to side with? What are you going to do? And I do find it interesting uh, to interact with games of that ilk. Although, so I take it you hadn't played Fable or Mass Effect or anything before Dragon Age? No, neither of those. Um, even now, technically, I haven't played either of those, <laughs> I suppose. I started on Mass Effect, and I watched a roommate play through a lot of Fable. Um, but I hadn't personally attempted any of those. Yeah, uh, Mass Effect 1 has a bit of a slow start, so... Yeah, I started on one. I've since had people tell me to start on other games um, and then go back to one. But I suppose that's... In the same way of me starting Dragon Age mm. with Dragon Age 2, everybody's like, ah, oh, but the lore, and you'll have a better idea of the story, and it will affect the way you think about things. But to be fair, with I Dragon Age, with... I played multiple games through multiple times. So Yeah. I think with Dragon Age, you can skip around a little bit more than you can with Mass Effect. Okay. But, well, Dragon Age, each game has its own protagonist. and Mass Effect, you play the same person. True, true. Um, yeah. What was I saying? characters i thought they were pretty neat um who was your favorite companion oh man that's a big question <laughs> um i feel like overall it would probably actually be varic um which is great since he continues on to be in dragon age inquisition as well and my heart cried out with joy when i found out that information um but like i love that no matter what kind of hawk you play since you do get a choice between the way the character uh, interactions and plays out. Um, Varric's always like your bro, no matter what. And I just, yep. I appreciate having that friendship in my life, you know? Makes sense to me. Yeah. Alright, so there's, there's a lot of criticisms that have been leveled against Dragon Age 2, um, often in terms of how it differs from Dragon Age Origins. Uh, the combat's been revamped, and it's kind of in a a weird sort of hack and slash sort of not hack and slash state um the scope of the game is much smaller you rarely leave the city of kirkwall and while it's a big city and like where you go nearby is you know reasonably fleshed out it's you know a much smaller scope than the game before one of my biggest problems with it came about because i played the game as a hawk that was a mage now the overarching storyline in dragon age 2 is around this conflict between the mages and the templars and the templars control kirkwall and there's all sorts of regulations about you know when you can do magic uh what types of magic you should be studying uh for instance blood magic is in the series generally considered a large no-no as it requires often you know using your blood and or other people's mostly other people's blood to do <laughs> spells and most people see that as kind of uh barbaric and vampiric um to you I, uh, I don't know that I, was a I've little bit of a judgy tone there i've i've never played as a blood mage okay um i've played as a mage most of the dragon age games i've never played as a blood mage mm -hmm. uh it's 
I don't think it's the way that you would play it as a character. You don't do quite the nasty, you know, ritual sacrifice stuff that you find other mages doing in the games. Mm-hmm. So it kind of paints it as a le- in a m- less immoral light as a protagonist. Yeah. I find that. I think it's interesting when you don't play as a blood mage, then it's like every blood mage you encounter is terrible, except for maybe like Meryl. But if you actually play as it, it's sort of I, like I, a... Meryl oh, well, makes horrible decisions. Yeah, but that's... <laughs> that's but I see not your point. her fault. <laughs> um, so, so I played through the game as a mage, and in order to make the game function, since you can play as either a mage or a warrior or a thief, roughly similarly like they don't want to rewrite the entire game just because you're a mage you get away with a lot of things that it doesn't make sense to get away with mm-hmm. like there are missions where you go hunt down rogue mages for the templars like rogue illegal mages and mind you you are an illegal mage you're an unregistered mage if you're playing as a mage no one does anything to stop you it comes up in a couple of conversations it doesn't change what sides you can choose in conflicts. It doesn't change how any of the law enforcement personnel interact with you. It doesn't really change how your party members see you when it comes to that issue. They just kind of let you be this mage, including possibly a blood mage, and you get away with it. And it's really weird. Yeah. I think I I have a slightly different perspective because I don't believe I ever played through at least a full game as a mage. I tend to go with warrior and rogue just because that suits my fighting style better. But I can absolutely see your point. That would be really strange. And so noticing that with Dragon Age 2, they want to tell a more personal story. With Dragon Age Origins, you could come from this vast variety of backgrounds, multiple types of, of multiple races, all the different classes. And when people refer to you, you are, you know, you're the warden, you're the grave warden. You're not like a specific person. In Dragon Age 2, you're Hawk. You're always a member of this family. You always have the siblings you have, the, the parent you have, the uncle that you run around with. You're always this person. And so what I would actually do to kind of fix this dissonance that you can end up with and this vastly different play experience uh, if someone's playing as a warrior Hawk or a mage Hawk is to not let them play as a mage Hawk. I would go as far as to say that Maybe still let them pick genders because it's a Bioware game. People want to date who they want to date. And it wasn't one of the games that they've just made everyone bisexual to accommodate that. Wait, no, it Um, is one of those. Not everyone, right? No, everyone. Wait. hmm, Okay, wait. There might be a DLC character. Uh, As a girl. The only one who wasn't, although I can't actually confirm. I'm going to have to look this up right now. No, no, they definitely are because um, for the most part, or at least the main four in the main game, is always referred to in my head as the bisexual crew from Dragon Age 2. It's got a nice little Male rhyming Male and female kit. hawk can romance Anders, Fenris, Isabella, Meryl. Female only, you got the Sebastian from the DLC. But that one was DLC, so I think of it as separate, but you're right. That's Um, what I was thinking of. I was thinking of the fact that there are several characters that you actually can't romance that are in your party. Well, yeah, like Varric. (laughs) Um, You can't romance Varric or Aveline. Mm -hmm. Well, Um, Aveline's married to the law. None of us can have her. Aveline's married to the law. None of us are good enough for her, frankly. And, you know, we just got to make peace with that. Anyway, so back to my point. Um, I would say, I would actually almost go as far as to say, always have Hawk be a warrior. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because that way when you have like Hawk and Hawk's two siblings, you can say one is the thief and one is the mage. Wait, but um, Carver is a warrior, so wouldn't it actually be better for okay, Hawk to be a Okay, then make you a thief. Yeah. And, and yeah, because you can go with a swashbuckler noble type idea. Yeah, I feel like personality-wise, if you were going to pick one, then Rogue would probably fit best. That's true. Hawk has a lot of sassy responses. Hawk's the roguish type. Now, the first the first issue that I could see someone having with this is, but I want to play as, as the class I want to play as. Mm-hmm. All of the Dragon Age games, in my recollection, let you switch which character you're controlling in combat. Ah, uh, that's a good point. So you could still... And they always give you this dearth of characters who play as those different classes. So you still have that. You don't actually lose that. Um, and what this lets them do is that they can have this tighter story of who you are and what you do. And you can be a more neutral party in this mage-templar conflict that you see represented in your party... Uh, you have several mages and uh, several non-mages. I don't think you actually get a Templar. Uh, I don't remember you getting a Templar. No, not not in this one, I don't believe. Although, not I suppose uh, Carver can become a Templar uh, yeah. if you leave him behind when you go on Act 2 into the Deep yeah. Roads. Um, spoiler! Um, it, it, would, it would change sort of what they do with Carver and Bethany. Um I would almost, because, you know, they start out as a warrior and a mage, and if you're a mage, Bethany dies. If you're not a mage, Carver dies, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I would almost argue that you just always have whoever survive, always have them be a mage, like the survivor. I don't. Oh, no, I but then there would be no Carver. Some, or just have Carver be a mage. Have them both be mages. That would like, entirely change Carver's personality. It would change Carver's personality. Like, there's ripples that, I, you know, yeah. that they'd have to deal with. It um, would certainly affect some other things. It can't be the exact same game with changing something so fundamental to the plot, I suppose. Yeah, but it would give a... It would kind of more standardize the experience, at least at the start. Where, yeah. like, you don't... They don't have to deal with all of these, these conflicts of the player versus the narrative. You could still have your choices, and you still end up at the end having made these different choices. But I don't have to go into the, do you pick mages or templars, going, am I choosing to be a slave right now? I'm just imagining, like, the darkest solution to fixing the Carver-Bethany choice at the beginning is just, like, have a moment where you're like, no, 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 Uh, (laughs) pick what sibling you want to save. That'd be, like, the hardest decision of the entire game in the first, like, 60 seconds. Bioware has made you choose before like that. Oh, man, I know, but it's broken my heart. Because <laughs> I think there's a choice like that in Inquisition somewhere. There certainly is. Um, and then uh, the, Mass Effect has it as well. Yeah, I wouldn't know that. Um, but the one in Inquisition is also affected by your previous gameplay in the other games. Uh, no. So I found that depending on whether you load a save or not, it can be a much more difficult decision. Thankfully yes. for me, the way I have played through my games, it it hasn't been as tricky. Um, Fair enough. Um, and oof. actually, if they standardize Flashbacks. and you have a, a more a more narrow vision of what Hawk is, importing that data about Hawk into Inquisition is so much easier. Hmm. True. True. And I think just, just narratively, they wanted with Dragon Age 2 to be more focused. They wanted you know to be telling this very specific story about this very specific place. And so having a more specific protagonist would help. 
That's true. And they already restrict you to being human. They've already gone quite a step there. Yeah, they did already restrict it a whole lot. I suppose it wouldn't be that far a step to uh, restrict it further. Although, like, and my heart... And you can heart... still do the, the face customization and all that jazz. Like, that's not... My heart still cries out at it a little bit, just because I think the way I, I imagine the Dragon Age games in general is that it's very personalized to each individual and you sort of create your own story around your own protagonist. So while I understand that they already went multiple steps to make that not really happen in the same way for Dragon Age 2 in the way that it happens in Origins and Inquisition, I'm still like, but it's not the same to switch to a character that's a mage and play as them as it is to play as the mage character yourself, just narratively in your own mind. Um, but I suppose that's something you're just going to have to come to terms with in our imaginary game solution world. That's fair. Sorry, I got distracted by the fact I still have the romance window open. And uh, I accidentally scrolled down and apparently you can have a threesome with Zevran. Yeah, you can. Which I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> because I, Zevran didn't survive my Dragon Age Origins playthrough. Oh, no. Um, oh, that's upsetting. Why? Wait, did you just kill him immediately or something? No, he betrayed me later on. Oh, you weren't friends. Because I hadn't been friends. I didn't. I hadn't worked on friendship with him yet. Well, that anyway, was your mistake. That's, that's off topic. That, that has never happened to me. Um, um, failing, that is. But yeah. I'm not familiar with this failure you speak of. Um, as, yes, you can. As a corollary to you don't play as a mage. Mm -hmm. One of the other things I think would really help with this story that they're trying to tell is to have more mages that don't die and don't turn to blood magic. Hey, I'm always for that solution. I'm very pro-mage. Because what they do is they try to present these two sides that are, you know, morally opposed, opposed to each other in some way. Um, and yes, there are dangers to what the mages do. Can't really deny that. They can level cities, and they can make contracts with demons, and just, it doesn't end well for anyone. Mm -hmm. But every major mage either major has mage. a contract with some set of <laughs> has a contract with some sort of demon demon not demon or turns to blood magic at some point that includes the other mages in your party and i think literally any other named mage that doesn't die is part of a quest hmm. they all turn to some sort of horrific magic and so you end up with a very one-sided moral argument when you know the templars are like they'll always turn to these things and the mages are like no we won't <laughs> it just it falls flat yeah that's true a little more variety i wouldn't say that it's all of the mage not all mages um i <laughs> i i feel like it's not necessarily mages in dragon age 2 that don't use blood magic okay give it a look tell me what you find um the first I... entry is Blood Mage, hmm. followed by Not Happy with Blood Mages, <laughs> Overpowered Blood Magic, and there's a gaping flaw with Blood Magic. Blood Mages are ruining our society. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's a, that's a more minor thing. That's just like adjust a couple of characters so they just have different specialties. You can even still have mages go against the Templars using other schools of magic. Gasp, it just seems what? to be always the fallback. Yeah, I suppose... And that kind of 
I suppose maybe because like blood magic, I'm not sure if it would really be, I think it's categorized as a school of magic within the game, but in my way yes. of thinking it, it seems more like a way of powering up other magic. Like no matter what, everybody's just using magic based magic, um, lyrium based magic, I suppose. And then like, if they're in the middle of a spell and we're like, oh shit, this is weak. Then, you know, just slice open the old hand or maybe something that's less uh, important to your daily living. I don't know why they're always slicing at their hands, you know, like slice somewhere else. Damn. Um, anyway, slice at the hand and suddenly that spell is super powered. But like it can still be, you know, an elemental spell that you happen to be. Yeah, narratively, blood magic. narratively, the definition of blood magic seems to be broader than how it actually works mechanically for the characters. Yeah. True, true. Well, you got to simplify some things. Side note, though, I think just sort of maybe to fix it a little bit more in one's mind rather than changing the game mechanics. I always personally sort of thought of this as when you first arrive in Kirkwall, Hawk is definitely like a refugee and already working in like very shady criminal goings on. Um, very fair. So I always assumed that at least within the first year, Hawk is just like completely under the radar, even as a mage, like manages to evade the Templar sites as well as the sites of the law and like anything else that would get them. That's fair. Whereas after that, fairly soon after, Hawk becomes fabulously wealthy and powerful, um, like within yep. another year. So I always kind of assumed that it was going very quickly from like nothingness and staying under the radar to being so powerful that nobody can actually really touch them um, because Hawk, you know, saves the day. And, oh, it's Hawk, in, that in, one mage that we think is kind of cool. Um, in most situations, I would agree, but the level to which those the relations with... The level to which the relations with the Templars and mages deteriorates in that game, Yeah. by the time you hit that last act, there's no way they'd be letting Hawk walk free. That's true. No I think how useful Hawk was. It makes it a little easier to deal with for like maybe the first seventy percent of the game, like maybe yeah. a two thirds point. But you're right. With the last third of the game, it just becomes a little nonsensical. Yeah. Mm. So that's why I would remove the ability for Hawk to be a mage. Because the other two characters that are mages in your party, they have hideouts. They mention hot, keeping the, their noses clean and like they kind of avoid things. And you still have to deal with the fact that you could bring them into a combat against Templars. Mm -hmm. And they'd have to find some way to, like, obscure that themselves in these situations. Fake mustaches. Uh, every you know, time. Oh, that'd be great. Just Meryl with a fake mustache and a, go and a fake goatee. Yeah. <laughs> these uh, aren't the bad mages you're looking for. I think it'd be easier to justify them vanishing and, and avoiding the Templars than Hawk lounging in her palace... <laughs> Uh, you know, casting spells to make the chandeliers light. You know, yeah, it's that blatant. I love Hawk though. Just, just side yeah, Hawk note. Hawk's great. Hawk's great. Um, Hawk, I think... has, Hawk has far more of a defined personality than the other protagonists. Yeah, which is interesting because Hawk, I feel, has very much become a beloved character, despite the fact that, as I mentioned earlier, like a staple of the game. I felt was always like create your own narrative and your own thing and i'm constantly seeing online like people posting descriptions and drawings of their own characters and look yeah. love my inquisitor love my warden please etc um but hawk somehow managed to capture the hearts of the public <laughs> anyway 
You just have to be snarky. I think that's beautiful. You just have to be snarky. Basically, purple hawk is the best. And okay, no. Uh, if you if you prefer another hawk, that's fine. You're just wrong. Say um, purple hawk. Yeah, the sarcastic one. There's the three options. There's blue, which is peaceful. There's purple, which oh, is right. like sarcastic and witty. And there's red, which is aggressive and actually really. Uh, I think maybe the red options are a little overly aggressive. I feel like a little bit. The they were sort of very polarizing personalities. It was like, are you nice? Are you funny? Or do you want destruction? Um, That's kind of the problem with with uh, conversation wheels in general. Yeah. Um, where it's difficult to it's difficult to filter things down to a, a reasonable number of choices with each choice being a personality, because it means that either you're always choosing the same intensity of option in order to maintain that personality or like you just end up with a very inconsistent character yeah that's true um i think that was probably improved in inquisition where they no longer indicated as directly which one was which it was more like this one's the option where you're super confused and this one is the option where you're sad about what happened rather than like this is the one for funny people and this is the one for angry people yeah uh i think i'd i'd at some point, I'd want to pick a game, probably Fallout 4, honestly, to just talk about conversation wheels, just mm-hmm. because it tried to fix them in a way that most people think made them far, far worse. Interesting. Um, was there another bit of Dragon Age 2 you want to talk about? Um, yes, a little bit. Specifically, since I was talking before about um, sort of a way that you can think about the game differently to make it a little bit better, although that only really works for the mage case for like the first two thirds of the game. Um, Another common complaint that I heard was in, specifically about the locations. Like there's nothing you can really do about Kirkwall being not that exciting and you being kind of stuck in Kirkwall for the most part. But one thing that was particularly annoying was whenever you went into a cave, it was like the same the same cave. cave every Always time. Always the same cave, yes. Um, one beautiful solution to that that I remember reading somewhere online, I believe on Tumblr somewhere, sorry, I don't know who posted it, um, was if you think about the wider view of the game, you are not playing it through first person style. You are hearing it told via Varric. And so he's just not imaginative enough to come up with a different. We cave know attack. that Varric doesn't like caves. He is not a cavey <laughs> type dwarf. Like True. you can just very easily imagine Varric trying to describe this, and he's like the the stalactites were super pointy and rocky. I don't know. It's a fucking cave. Leave me alone. Like, <laughs> it's all caves are the same, right? It was a cave. We went to a cave. It's fine. The same for, like, every back alleyway. It's like there was dirt and whatever, man. Like, it was a dirty back alley. They're all alike to me. I visit See, many. And which is why there's so much more detail in your romance with characters that aren't Varric. Because that's what Varric cares about. Yeah. <laughs> Varric cares about personal relations and getting nosy in everybody's business. Varric does not care about describing your particular location to you. Yeah. I mean, on that note, I actually really liked the framing of the story as Varric being interrogated. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it gives you this unreliable narrator, which is great considering how preposterous some of the events of the game are. (laughs) Like the one-on-one combat with the the Varishok. Yes. When you're like a mage, that does not... (laughs) No, I think... 
any it's, times it's, that I played through as a rogue as well were like kiting, 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 stab, yeah. kiting, 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 yeah. kiting, you stab. Know, you have these ludicrous situations. And I also really liked how Varric being interrogated by Cassandra, who otherwise wouldn't, wasn't really present in the game, mm-hmm. sets up Inquisition so well and gives you like this knowledge of how the two of them will interact. It did. It also made it nice to have not just one character carrying over, but in a sense two, even though Cassandra played a much smaller role in Dragon Age 2. Yeah. I was very but happy like, to see her. It, it, it's not normal. It's not a usual thing to have what seemed to be like just a narrative framing come back as like a playable character. Mm-hmm. And so I liked how they did that with Cassandra. She's not the only character to pop and for- back and forth between games like that, playable and non-playable though. Um, Liliana does that. Ah, yeah. Uh, where well, she's playable in Origins and, and not playable in Inquisition. Yeah. I do like it when they um, have them visit. Uh, who else was I thinking of? Anders, actually, technically. How so? Um, oh, Anders I suppose in Awakening, in, oh, yeah. He's in Awakening. Um, before the whole justice thing happens. Back when he had a different um, voice and a cool earring. Yeah, they... <laughs> it's kind of weird that they reused the character but changed him so drastically. I'm not sure how I really feel about that. Like, I feel like it works okay in the course of character progression just because like, when you first met Anders, one, he wasn't like fused with justice yet. He did not have a separate yeah. spirit inside of him, so that accounts for a lot of his personality changes. But also, he was still very early on in his freedom fighter, like plot line he, was he a wasn't baby revolutionary. he was a baby revolutionary he, he had, had a lot of feelings into a full chicken <laughs> yeah um it was early so days a so the number of feathers on his costume oh man there were so many <laughs> which is also funny because like i can't remember which one's which the same voice actor either in awakening or in um in dragon age 2 also voices cullen in inquisition um of course. <laughs> Which is amusing considering the polarity of their characters, but also considering the amount of fluff on both of their costumes. Floofy, floofy. Floofy, floofy. Um, the, the last character I know of that kind of switches playable, unplayable, uh, just to finish that, Isabella. Um, oh, I suppose so. She's since... easy to forget about, but in Origins, she's actually, uh, you have like a little mini quest with her in a bar. Mm-hmm. And she can teach one of the rogue specialties, I believe. Yeah, you play cards against uh, her. And then I think there's yeah. also an opportunity for a threesome there. Uh, Probably. Because, you know, every now and again, somebody needs to have a threesome. That? Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, that was a little off topic, but... Yeah, no, yeah, it's I, also I, fun I like if you how read... they move the characters between the games like that. If you um, read the character novels as well then it's nice to get some further crossover with characters there were some stories specifically in inquisition that would have been pretty unintelligible had i not delved into those i still have to read those you should do that they're super would you recommend any specific one um i would i think in general they tend to get better as you progress through um, okay. My favorite was probably Asunder, which tells a lot about Cole and is probably best consumed just before playing Inquisition. Um, okay. There's also two characters in Inquisition, um, a Templar named Evangeline and a mage named Reese, um, who you only hear about through tabletop like missions. Um, okay. 
but they play a very large role in the novels and sort of in Cole's formation as a character, in a sense. Um, okay. So that's a really interesting story to explore. Um, the Masked Empire, right after that, also has a lot of influence on the way you see some characters in Inquisition. It focuses on Selene and Briala. Um, so once you get to the uh, masked ball of uh, okay. Wicked Eyes and Wicked Hearts, the mission is, um, then it can definitely affect how you perceive what's going on there, which is also interesting. Um, the ones before that aren't as... I don't want to say aren't as good, but I think the the writing style isn't as developed at the time. Um, okay. Is it all the same author? I believe most of them are, but not all of them. It's David Gator for at least the first couple. Um, let me check that. Right. Sadly, I can't just pull them off my shelf because I have them on Kindle, but... Of course. Uh, David Gator, David uh, Gator, David Gator. While you look that up, and while we have a little a little more time, is there anything mm -hmm. in general about Dragon Age do you think that you think they've kind of missed the mark on? In general? Hmm. I think I do hear a lot of complaints about, despite the fact that Dragon Age aims to have you develop the story through free choice, um... A lot of times, Bioware will give you all of these choices throughout the game, but by the end of it, it really comes down to, like, two things. Like, throughout Dragon Age 2, you can take a neutral standpoint or go back and forth between Templars and Mages, but in the and end, only that you last two absolutely matter. have to choose between Templars and Mages, and all yeah. of the choices up to that point can be overturned in a single moment. Um, which, I, I feel like that could be approached better. And I think they are making efforts to do that. In Inquisition, there were a lot more choices that had more lasting effects, I think, that didn't just depend on final end game decisions. But yeah. I think it could still stand to be improved a bit further. I almost would but rather have Dragon Age 2's you make a final choice, regardless of what you've been saying, over what happened in Origins which was all of the, whatever moral reasons you had for choosing side A or side B in each mission, mm -hmm. all it came down to was a different group can show up in the final fight. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it was just like, it became a very mechanical outcome. Yeah, I would definitely be like, well, if I had werewolves here, that would be pretty badass, and they would probably be better at fighting than elves. So despite yeah. the fact that maybe this isn't a morally sound decision, um, let's murder some elves. I don't think I actually went with that decision because I'm the type of person I think who feels I did very guilty. The elves. Oh no. Uh, well, it, that's another game. <laughs> yeah. Did Separate you find story. the author name? Oh, right. Um, David Gator wrote uh, three of them, but I think the other ones were another author who can't recall right now. Let me check again. Dragon Age Masked Empire. Patrick Weeks, of course. Um, so some of them were David Gator, some of them were Patrick Weeks. Um, okay. Anyway, oh. the first the first two, in general, I recommend all of them. The first ones have more influence on uh, the plot of Dragon Age Origins, um, or rather building up to it, and your, once again, your opinions of the characters and the events that go down, which is interesting. Okay. 
Um, there's specifically in the second book, um, The Calling, some information that does not really get addressed anywhere else, but like is kind of a very big deal that keeps on sort of like sideways coming up in games. I don't really want to say it outright because I want you to That's read the fair. books. Um, yeah, having different formats of media kind of bleeding into each other like this, like books about a game and you can only understand the game properly if you read the books. Mm -hmm. I have, I can talk for quite a while about that because of the Young Justice video game, but mm -hmm. this is not that episode. That's fair, that's fair. Yeah, I feel like Dragon Age is definitely sort of just like a little bit of enrichment from the novels. There's, by no means is it impossible to understand the games without them. Um, oh, yeah, but I think difference. if you're willing to go that length, it's just a little bit of enrichment, like just a little further character understanding. But I suppose that's for people who are interested in character and story rather than gameplay or maybe have a bigger focus on that um, to each their own. Fair enough. I'm trying well, to think I if think... there's anything else I wanted to address before we wrap up, but. I can't think of any other major points I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think I'm good. Thank you for joining me, Phoebe. Thank you for inviting uh, me. I think I think Dragon Age 2 definitely we, we they could have tightened the package. Uh, I don't I think there's a lot enough reasons to maybe not make the choices I would have made that resulted in, you know, the game we got. Mm -hmm. But uh yeah. Maybe we could have fixed it maybe i'll re-record that <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could have fixed it maybe. <laughs> the maybe we can fix this podcast is produced by me morgan lefay theme music is by incredible unbelievable and logo design is by juliana wheel you can find some of my writings at morganemily.blog and you can follow me on twitter at morgan Leplay. Thank you for listening. Okay. And I'll just sync up to match the claps. Cool. Just so, side note, that's the way that people start and end parties in Japan, generally. Everybody's like, yay! With a three, two, clap. one single clap? Yeah. That's... That's, that's at great. least the end of parties. Everybody stands up, somebody makes a speech, and then it's like, na 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 And then we're... Remind me to do that at my next party. Yeah.